welcome to the Battail Investment Podcast. I've got a very, very special treat to you today because my good friend Catherine Cashmore is coming on. Um, if you don't know her name, she is Australia's premier real estate expert. Um, and I can say that having worked with her uh, for almost 10 years now, on and off in, in various different ways. But every time she's called a city up or a, a suburb, I've seen it play out right in front of me. So I'm going to get her on. Uh, to tell you all about how she's seeing things on the ground in Melbourne and across Australia for the upcoming real estate cycle. Um, if you follow my work uh, at Fatal Media, you know that Catherine and I called for a big boom uh, in real estate last year when most other people were calling the market down. But before we get to Catherine, I just share a little anecdote. One way uh, we analyze the market, or I've learned to do it, uh, I was at a baby shower on Sunday and one of the, actually the dad of the baby, the forthcoming baby, um, came up to me and he's looking to buy a house, obviously, with his uh, his wife and uh, child on the way. And, he's, and he indicated, well, you know, is the real estate market predictable? And I said it, it was, or I thought it was, at least in a broad sense. And one way I do that is by following the credit statistics of the banking system here in Australia. Now, I spent a lot of time on this, a lot of hours, and I'll tell you a good book to read about this sort of stuff. But the gist is that when the banks make a loan, um, most people think they're lending deposits because we sort of put our money in the bank and then the bank lends it out. <laughs> Wrong. That's not how it works. When a bank makes a loan, a commercial bank, anyway, a, a big bank like CBA and all that sort of stuff, they create that loan out of nothing. So it, it, it creates new money into the system. And that's how Australia's money supply is created. Same system all over the world. So, of course, the more money going into a particular sector, it's going to rise because there's more money chasing the same amount of uh, assets or goods or, or what have you. So real estate here in Australia, one way to tell if it's going to go up or go down is if credit's going up or, or going down. So the uh, RBA and the Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, put this out. It's a little bit lagging, but that's okay in the in the broad sense. So just last week, they put out the data for September, and uh, I'll get Belvedere to throw up the statistics on the screen if you're watching. Um, but 30 billion went into uh, housing <clears throat> in September, and that was up 35% on last year. So, to my mind, um, as long as that credit uh, keeps getting pumped into the real estate sector, then the prices will keep rising. So, then we just keep an eye on interest rates and, and the affordability ratios, and that gives us a good idea of where real estate's heading. And Catherine, uh, that's part of the cycle that Catherine and I will talk about later. Now, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of that banging stuff and the other implications, there's a very good book came out 20 years ago called Princes of the End, which you, I need to do in a very special way. Uh, it's written by a banking expert called Richard Werner. And one of the reasons uh, Japan had a massive bubble in the 1980s was because their banking system went bananas making loans into real estate. And famously, the land under the Tokyo Palace uh, was worth at one stage as much as the whole state of California. But he even goes back uh, to the 1930s when a, let's say, a compliance central banker helped put Adolf Hitler in power by using the banking system. So again, that's an area of history you might want to explore. If not, if you just want to know where the real estate cycle <laughs> is going, one way to do that is by tracking the credit statistics. Now, 
enough from me. Let's get Catherine online and she's going to tell us all about what's happening in Australian property. Earlier, I mentioned we'd be speaking with Australia's foremost expert on real estate. And she joins me from her palatial abode in inner city Melbourne. Catherine, how are you going? Hi, Cal. I'm going good. Thank you. Can you tell us, you're on the ground in a way that I'm not, um, dealing with people buying and selling property and you're, you're going to auctions, you're seeing it. Can you tell us uh, what's going on out there in the Aussie, well, first of all, Aussie real estate market, but specifically for you see it on the ground in Melbourne and just how big things are getting out there? Yeah, I have never seen a market like we've had over the last, well, 18 months, really. Um, you know, when the pandemic hit, there was a little bit of uncertainty about what was going to happen on the ground and people were uncertain about buying. And so we had a bit of a lull in the market. But as soon as we came out of those initial lockdowns and, you know, there was more confidence in the economy, the market has absolutely soared. So if you look at the growth rates of what's happening in real estate right now, um, we've never seen anything like it before. The, the last time the real estate market was growing this strongly was in the late 1980s, leading up to the 1991 downturn. But on the ground, the results have been quite phenomenal in the real estate market. So I've seen properties that were, say, sold five months ago for you know, a million dollars, now selling again for 1.5 million. The turnover in and the increase in price has been quite spectacular on the ground. And there's reasons for that. Um, you can We can trace the reasons why that is happening. But to see it at this stage of the real estate cycle is truly unprecedented. So you have of the view that there's only so far Melbourne and Sydney can run from here because they're already so high. Are you surprised? Well, how long do you think this can go on for then? Well, obviously, we, we're working within the 18-year cycle. So, you know, we write for cycles, trends and forecasts, and everything that we do has that cycle in the background because there's a lot of history underpinning an 18-year cycle in real estate. And that cycle is a cycle that Australia correlates with certainly over the last three cycles. And so we expect this run to go up to around 2026 as a peak. So there's a way to go. But that doesn't mean that you would get the same scale of price growth that we've had over the last 12 months necessarily every single year leading up to that. But it's also important for listeners to understand that when you look back at strong runs of price growth in Australia, it's not unusual to get a four to five year period of double digit price growth in the areas that are attracting the speculation, the population um, influx. And so what we've seen, even though we haven't had any immigration in Australia, a lot of this is being driven, obviously, by the COVID migration. The way that people um, relate to location has fundamentally changed. So inner city amenities have lost value in people's minds compared to what they, the value that they gave prior to COVID. And obviously we're seeing that with um, an influx of population into regional areas, into coastal areas, uh, areas that are attractive um, 
you know, for residents to live. So that's one thing that's been driving it. But there is absolutely no doubt that the government stimulus has been a lot of the driver as well. And you can recognize that because if you understand that 18 year cycle and you understand that usually it is the last two years of the cycle that give you the strongest period of price growth, the only times outside of that last two year period that we see such strong gains in property prices, in land prices, as we've seen today, are when the government has thrown money at the market and the stimulus which has put a lot of money on aggregate into people's bank accounts. It's not gone into my bank account, <laughs> but it's gone into, you know, on aggregate, it's gone into uh, bank accounts around Australia. Um, it's been a tremendous uh, stimulus. And that is finding its way into property prices. Um, and that's why we're seeing such a tremendous drive now. It's not just the stimulus, it's the infrastructure spending as well. It's the fact that we've got, um, it, you know, money is worth nothing. So we've got the interest rate uh, dilemma that's playing into it for people. So I've had clients, for example, that have uh, more clients than ever that have become cash buyers because they've drawn out their term deposits to put into real estate to get a better yield than they're getting in the bank. Well, that's interesting because obviously the big fear with real estate is always, that, you know, it's the leverage that kills everybody because when it goes down, um, they end up with bad debts and all that sort of thing. So, uh, I get, well, a cash sort of driven market is, again, a signal that it can keep keep going. I remember seeing that in the US actually uh, years ago. There was heaps of cash buyers. Obviously, they have much lower prices than we do over there. Anyway, um, okay, so it's really strong out there. Lots of activity. We've seen a uh, little bit of a pushback, I guess, reg regulatory, uh, regulatory wise. And I say little meaning very little has done. But somebody uh, listening might be getting worried that the government's going to try and cut off this boom in, not that they really can, but do you see that as a problem? Uh, no, not immediately. The pushbacks that have been going on. So first of all, obviously the RBA uh, washed their hands of the housing market and said, well, we're not going to do anything. So we're not going to increase interest rates just to slow the housing market. We're going to leave that to APRA. They um, increased the serviceability rate of loans, but they've done it by such a marginal amount that it's not going to make much impact on the market. Um, it you know, reduces a little bit the amount that uh, people can borrow, investors in particular. But considering the incredible rise in land values over the last um, 12 months, uh, people have been making a lot of money anyway, a lot of equity that they can draw on. So you wouldn't expect that to have any big change on the property market. The other thing that's interesting is uh, New South Wales, um, you know, the Premier there coming out and saying, well, we're going to, we want to change to a land tax and get rid of stamp duty. That's something that we advocate of Prosper Australia, um, the a tax group, the um, economics group that I'm president of, we advocate that land taxes are, are better than stamp duty. No doubt they are. But in the switch that he is talking about, he's not talking about putting great big taxes on land, it's a marginal shift. So, you know, he will phase out stamp duty, put the tax onto land. And initially, because stamp duty is such a prevent, pre, uh, prevention from people getting in because they have to save it up prior to entering the market, um, they have to have it, uh, that's, the initial reaction from that would be a rise in land prices, not a slowing of land prices. The market would become a lot more fluid from it. 
Um, so that's not going to slow things. And at the back of it, we've seen many more incentives that have been thrown at the property market. You only have to go onto the state websites and have a look at the incentives that are being thrown at uh, property buyers from WA um, that have uh, saving schemes and stamp duty schemes and are encouraging people to move there, um, FIFO workers to move there. Tasmania has uh, a lot of uh, property incentives. So does uh, Victoria. Uh, all of these things are playing into it for people. The encouragement from government, it's really clear. Uh, it, you know, we, We're not under any illusion about this. The government wants you to go out and buy real estate. It's good. They feel that this is a good thing. There's, there's the cries that you're seeing about affordability have been cries that we see, we've seen for decades. There's just a repeat. There's nothing different from what we're seeing now when it comes to, you know, as soon as the market starts to escalate at these kind of paces, everybody says, oh, it's affordability. How are first home buyers going to buy? Funnily enough, more first home buyers have been buying um, than we've seen, you know, uh, in recent times anyway, because of all the incentives and um, so on and so forth. But of course, they'll come out and say, well, we just need to build more supply. And anybody, you know, we, we understand that that's just a smoke and mirrors excuse for saying we're not going to do anything about the housing market. Um, building more supply is not going to immediately lower prices because it's the developers that are in control of getting that supply to the market and they drip feed it onto the market in order to keep prices high. So the cycle is not going to stop. Prices are going to keep going up. The only thing that you can look at is what's, so the, so, you know, if you're looking, well, that's the cycle prices are going to go up is what's happening in the micro analysis of it. So which areas are going to get the greatest gains and which areas are not? Um, you know, are going to perhaps slow. And Melbourne would be the first one that you would flag as a big concern because Melbourne is not a pleasant place to live anymore. Right? It's uh, changed. Um, anybody that lives in Melbourne will tell you that just not from the long lockdown, but just from the draconian mandates <clears throat> that have been implemented. <clears throat> and there would be quite a few thousand people that are um, not vaccinated that would be immediately moving from Melbourne because it doesn't offer them a lifestyle anymore. Um, Melbourne was losing population anyway. There's a lot of people that are vaccinated that want to move from Melbourne. And all we need to tip the scales in Melbourne is a slight bit of supply, a bit more supply to come onto the market, which we're already seeing and then you're going to get a bit of a softening. And I would say that there's a there's a indications of that happening right now. So it doesn't mean that um, there's not suburbs in Melbourne that would keep climbing. In fact, if you look at uh, what's going on, the inner city and the middle ring suburbs are, are showing increases in vacancy rates. But down the coast towards the Mornington Peninsula, for example, you're seeing a tightening in vacancy rates. So if you're set on buying in Melbourne, that's the way that you would go. But the population is going to southeast Queensland. That's getting the bulk of uh, population. And it's a little bit insecure even then because the premiers of, um, you know, Queensland and, and uh, WA, they haven't really released what their opening plans are, whether they're going to have um, draconian COVID marshals at every shop door <laughs> checking you in and, and make the atmosphere generally unpleasant or whether they're going to be a little bit more relaxed about it as we're seeing in areas of Europe and overseas where COVID isn't on the news every day like it is here. Quite funny that. I went down the supermarket the other day and the, the oh, I can't remember if it was Coles or Woolies, but there was a guy standing there at the front, you know, presumably to check everybody and he was only 18 or something and then just 
you know, streams of people were walking walking by. <laughs> What's he supposed to do? Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, it's a very strange situation. Um, all right. So in lieu of all that, uh, for anyone listening, where do they go looking? Yeah, well, um, we know anyway when we look at the second half of the cycle that the smaller states by population are the ones uh, that take off in the second half. <clears throat> and particularly from this particular downturn, the COVID downturn, we've seen that happen um, more so than we perhaps would have expected. So every market in Australia has boomed. But the areas that are attracting that interstate migration and attracting money are the states that are smaller by population, putting aside Sydney, because Sydney's had a really strong run. I shouldn't uh, you know, neglect to mention that, um, particularly a lot of the, um, you know, in New South Wales generally, a lot of the um, regional areas as well, the attractive regional areas have as well. But that, that's not unusual for Sydney. We generally see Sydney slow down after its initial run in the cycle, and then you would see, you know, Queensland kind of pick up from that. But if I was putting my money anywhere, you know, I would be looking at Southeast Queensland. I'd be looking at um, WA. Um, I'd be looking at areas of Perth. Uh, Tasmania is also doing well. Tasmania is quite a small market. And now that it's got population growth and people moving there, their market is moving fast and they just do not have the supply to meet the demand. And with real estate, the way um, the buildings are, are built at the moment in Australia is just a slow process. We don't build fast. We haven't got, you can with 3D printing, but we just haven't got that um, to scale yet to really be able to build in for a sudden influx of population into these areas that were once considered too small or too remote for the majority of people to live in. And that, you know, you've got, you're looking at, for example, in some areas, it's taking two years in order to get a house approved and built <laughs> and uh, to the market and for sale. Um, so that gives you an idea of <clears throat> where what the problem is. And that's where you need to chase in order to get the gains if you want to um, really benefit from some rapid short-term growth. But it could continue because I don't see people suddenly turning and returning to the cities um, for the remainder of this cycle, really. I mean, it, it could happen as, as things lessen off a little bit. But like I said, you know, the, the relationship that people have with location has, is not going to fade in memory, um, you know, and, and see a, an exodus towards the cities in a short period of time. Well, one thing, as you know, last year, you know, people were like, oh, my God, there's no immigration to Australia. Property is going to just tank because there's no one coming in anymore. That didn't play out. but come next year and beyond, immigrants are going to start coming back. Um, do you see that as very bullish as well? Yeah, potentially, because it, it brings more money into Australia. And then, of course, you just got to chase where that money is going. But the reason people got all um, confused about immigration is because people really don't understand the economics of land or what land price essentially is. So, um, you know, things like zoning and population growth and everything can affect a land's price but ultimately the real thing that uh, the 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 land rent is is affected by three things which is how much of that rent is taxed away by government so that would be your land tax so when i'm saying the land rent i'm talking about the land price which is not what you earn but the land price goes up on its own it is just there it's what you pay for land and it goes up on its own you don't earn it or or do anything to it 
So it's, a, it's an unearned bulk of money that you've got. And the government taxes it, taxes it very lightly in comparison to how they tax your income. And because they don't tax it heavily, they don't tax away the land price, right? You, you get to, people get to, to pocket it. And then, of course, the other two things are exactly what the bank will lend. So property is, most people buy with a mortgage. So the more the bank will lend, the more money is going to go into that land price. And then, you know, interest rates affected as well. And then everything else is kind of like a, um, you know, a, can influence the site's value. But ultimately, that is the bulk of, of what the site's value is. The, whilst we don't have anything to discourage speculation in land, that's just going to continue because nobody else knows, nobody knows where else to put their money. You know, they realize in this country, you've got to speculate um, in order to uh, be able to retire. And that speculation in this country is mostly in land because of the way the tax system is. And so they get confused with immigration. They say, oh, well, the reason property prices are high is because we have immigration. And then you take that out the scale and they say, oh, I don't know, property prices are still high. You can do the same with interest rates because they'll say, well, the reason property prices are still high is because we have record low interest rates. But, you know, you can scoot back to when we had very high interest rates and we still have property bubbles. We still had property speculation in property that was driving people to put their money there and, and crashes after it. You know, the, the early 1990s crash being a prime example and the lead up to 2008 downturn was um, lending rates were around 9-10% and people were still, people were pouring their money into real estate. I remember in 2007, it was a crazy market, very similar to what we're seeing now. Um, add to that then all the stimulus that encourages people, which is like, you know, a, a tax break. It's like the money, government putting money in your pocket and saying, if you buy land, we'll give you 30,000, 50,000, you know, tax breaks here and there to go and buy land. That's why we've got a problem with land prices. So, yeah, I mean, immigration obviously isn't going to help. It's going to have an influencing factor on that. But until the government strips speculation from the market, you're going to you're going to have a land price um, cycle. And they are not going to, in this country, strip speculation from the market because the financial pocky, <laughs> trying to pronounce it. Tough word. That they, <laughs> yeah, it's tough work at this time of the morning. Hell, <laughs> they need, um, they need, they need the people to keep buying land because it's the collateral. Of, of, it's they want the streams of interest. Land is mostly the collateral that the banks lend against. The the biggest proportion of bank lending Absolutely. is against land as collateral. So they are not going to let the land market drop now. That, the system is completely corrupt and it damages the economy. And it certainly damages the, anybody who isn't a landowner because they fall at the bottom of the pile. And it's why we have gaping um, hole between uh, rich and poor. It's why we don't have an equal society, as Henry George pointed out in his Progress and Poverty. As economies progress and they, uh, you, you increase the amount of money that you um, get from technical advancement, that money just sinks into the land price because land is the only thing that we all need to live on, work on, eat, eat from, sleep on. Everything around us is made from land and it is, it is manipulated to be short in accessible supply. And so money will, the land price will always take the gains of what happens in the economy. 
And that's why we have a cycle. So you, you might not like it. And, and I, you know, you don't like being slaves to the financial system. Um, you know, we are slaves and <laughs> as to the way everything works. But unfortunately, you know, the, there's, the economy is not going to change. And so you need to learn to, learn to play it, to play the, the system for your own well-being and health. Absolutely. Uh, and that's part of uh, what we do over at Cycle Sense and Podcast and, and point it out. And it leads to all sorts of interesting insights in property and, of course, in the stock market, which is the part that I do. Um, just where you touched on the economics, politics of it, I saw, I think it was the real estate industry come out and say that we should abolish stamp duty and replace it with GST. Um, and they're making the case that somehow that'll increase affordability. Uh, do you want to just demolish that argument as well? <laughs> oh, it's just totally and utterly ridiculous, isn't it? Because how can I mean, every countries have used stamp duty as either to slow the market or to increase the market. So you saw that in England in uh, in the GFC, where they said, "Well, okay, we'll give you a stamp duty holiday," and prices went up by the amount of the stamp duty. Um, that there's numerous, numerous. Uh, real worldwide studies that show you that. And I don't think you need to be a very bright person to pick that up. And of course, the property lobby love the idea of not having stamp duty because it brings more people into the market. I mean, it's just a big lump of money. I mean, stamp duty is, is look, it's a terrible tax. <laughs> but um, if you're going to replace, if you're not going to replace it with a land tax, say, like New South Wales want to do, which is still a tax on land. So it's slowing the market from the fact that you have to take that into your budget, what you're going to pay annually. And therefore that's going to lower a little bit what you would agree to pay for the land. Then just getting rid of stamp duty is just like the most bullish thing. One of the most bullish things you can do to the real estate market. It would make the cycle go crazy. But they've been on about this for a long time. You know, they've been talking about getting rid of stamp duty and replacing it with GST. And um, we do a lot of work on it at Prosper. And, of course, one of the big problems is um, trying to get, you know, what the state taxes and the federal taxes. There's no, you know, kind of uh, because of the separation between them, it becomes very difficult to work out what the transition would be. <clears throat> and the second problem that you've got is um, – you don't, they don't want to allow the market to crash. They don't want property prices to go backwards. That's not going to attract any voters. So it's how do you actually transition to any policy that slows the land price, makes land affordable? There is only one way to make land affordable, and that is to, to demolish, <laughs> to make land prices go backwards, to make them cheaper. <clears throat> and that can't happen because most people's wealth is tied up in land, and as I said, the financial um, system is uh, levied, levied on it and is pinned to it. And so the transition is the, is the difficulty. Mm. The understanding of it is there. I mean, I've taken, place in, um, taken part in numerous uh, roundtables with um, various state and federal um, you know, politicians to talk to discuss this, where we get together with uh, state treasuries and Everybody agrees. Everyone says, yeah, it's we, need to, we need to do something about this. But nobody really, they'll just tinker at the edges of it. Um, yeah, I remember so, yeah, it's it, not going to do anything. There was a, a politician um, up in New South Wales, and he had this fantasy. He's like, we really need to do something about affordability. How do we do it without, you know, changing the current system? <laughs> you know, he didn't want other people who already owned a home. He didn't want theirs to go down. 
but somehow he wanted to get it so that everybody else can come up and join them. And it's just like, it can't be done. So they're always trying to square a circle as it were. Uh, but then of course the market sort of works around it, which can run on for a long time, which is what you talk about. So where 30 years ago, the family had the quarter acre block and a house on it with a ginormous back garden, all those are getting cut in half and you get a town, you now you live in a townhouse because uh, that's all people can afford on regular wages and that, that sort of dynamic or they're miles out from the CBD. Um, yeah. So anyway, we've studied this for a long time and um, seen it play out. Just to finish up, I guess we want to sum up what you're saying. So the property market is very bullish from what you're seeing. You need to be in it to win it basically. And do you sense, this was a, the final point I wanted to get to, as I did, you know, from 2010 to 2020 before COVID, we still had this notion that the Aussie property market was a giant bubble and, and it could crash. There was too many debts. There were lots of people saying, you know, it was a terrible idea to, to get involved. COVID came along. It looked like that was going to be it. If you hadn't studied your history a, a little bit more, it wasn't. And now I get a sense now that we've gone into a different psychology where everybody just wants in on the action. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, everyone's chasing the bull market, if you like, in property. And uh, that just shows you that there's confidence that the market is going to keep increasing. Um, <clears throat> it also becomes very difficult for people to sell, homeowners to sell in a hot market because there's that uncertainty about sell first, buy first. You know, you sell and then you're struggling to get in on the other side or you buy and then you're worried about what, what you, you know, if your property price is going to get there. Um, so it, it, it's quite difficult from that perspective. And that's one of the reasons why you're not seeing people's people sell. If vendors were, if, if people in this country were at all worried that prices were going to go backwards, they would um, be flooding the market. And we saw that happen not so long ago in 2018 um, <clears throat> with the Royal Commission into the banking sector, where <laughs> there was initially very few properties that went onto the market. And then as the, um, as the market kept falling and it just didn't look so good, then you saw a flood of homes kind of hit the market towards the end of 2018 uh, before, you know, the property market turned just prior to the, um, well, just after the election in uh, 2019. So uh, we're not seeing that right now. And, um, <clears throat> you know, like I said, while, that, while the dynamics of that can change and certainly now the borders are open, some people are going to make their decisions to move and, some people might even leave Australia considering what's been happening, you know, over the over the while. We know we've got immigration that's going to open up and there'll be people that will be moving in. So that I'm quite confident that things are going to continue. Whether they're going to continue at such an extraordinary pace um, is yet to be seen. I mean, they are there are going to be attempts to slow it down because they're going to be worrying um, about, you know, the, the sustainability particularly when interest rates go up. But we know from our study of the cycle that it is the interest rates do get increased quite rapidly in the winner's curse phase of the real estate cycle. And so we would be expecting that at some point to put cracks in the real estate market prior to the expected downturn. Hmm. All right, well, let's leave it there. And so, again, just to summarize, still looking bullish, looking for those big uh, blocks of land wherever you're seeing population growth and wage growth and job growth and all those type of things. 
Thank you for joining us and uh, we'll get you on maybe early next year to give us another update on what's going on in the real estate market. Sound okay? Yeah, sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you soon.